some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Matt. Do you remember a couple weeks ago I talked to the kids about show and tell? So I brought something for show and tell today. I have this quilt. I've had it since high school, though it was probably 10 years old when I got it. The quilt is made up of pieces of my grandma's dresses and aprons. That's her. She's the one on the left. This was in Alaska, by the way, which was a, a big deal for them. That's her a little bit later. That's probably around the time I was in high school. The quilt is made up of pieces of her dresses. She wore a dress every day. She was a stereotypical farm woman. She wore dresses and she wore aprons. My, my dad's mom, she was, we called her Ma. She was tough, right, Mom? She could be ornery. She had lived through a lot. She had lost a child. She had lived through poverty and war. She farmed with my grandpa, her husband. She raised animals. They lost animals in a barn fire, which on a farm, you know, is a, is a big deal. She did not have the easiest life. But, you know, it's, I look at this, this quilt, and I remember all of, I don't think I ever saw her in pants. Did you ever see her in pants? I don't think I ever saw her in pants my whole life. And she always had an apron on every day. When I look at this quilt and all of its crazy patterns and fabrics, I see her. I see her standing at the kitchen sink drying dishes. I see her sitting at her kitchen table stirring coffee with a spoon from the mason jar that sat in the center of the table that held spoons. I see her chasing my brother out the front screen door of her farmhouse with a broom because he had done some unspeakable, horrible thing. All of those memories are wrapped up in this fabric. But when I look at this quilt, I also see unfinished work. You see, this quilt has never laid on my bed. I've never covered up with it to watch TV. Stella and I have never snuggled under it as Stella likes to do. This quilt has never done the work of a quilt because it's not finished. The pieces of fabric are sewn together, but the edges are held together by pins that were put in there so many years ago. They're waiting to be stitched together, waiting to be finished. This quilt represents work that is undone. My mom and Ma started making this quilt when I was a young child. Something, which Mom doesn't remember what, <coughs> excuse me, something interrupted their work, and they never finished. You, oh, now you remember. She told you to bring your house dresses, and had she, did she, had she met you? Yeah, yours would have been sequin, um, yeah. That would have been a whole nother quilt. So, so you just, just didn't talk about it again? (laughs) 
So, so, yeah, I figured it was something weird. Had interrupted their work and they never finished it and I inherited the undone, the unfinished quilt and I have taken it from place to place as I've grown. I took it from my parents' house to my first home and I've moved it to every home that I have lived in ever since. For a while, it hung on a quilt rack, but then I got afraid that one of the kids would try to use it and get stuck with a pen, so I moved it into storage. To bring it here today, I pulled it out of the closet in our spare room, being careful not to stick my finger with one of the pins that were placed there probably around 40 years ago now. I find it a little strange that I've kept it all this time, but not really. Because even though it's not finished, it's meaningful to me. In the fabric, I see Ma. I remember her and her dresses and her simple aprons. Aprons that wiped her hands as she stood at that kitchen counter. Aprons that protected her dresses from splatters and held, held tissues in the pockets. There are a lot of memories in these fabric squares. Not really important to anyone else, but they're important to me. Our scripture reading for today, this story from Acts, talks about a woman who sewed and mended. She probably would have finished my quilt for me. This story is remarkable in so many ways. First, it's remarkable because we know the name of the woman in the story. That doesn't happen in scripture all the time. You know, we hear about the woman at the well or the woman who anointed Jesus' feet with perfume. We don't often know their names. We know that this woman's name was Tabitha. Not only do we know her name, we know both of her names. Her Jewish or her Hebrew name was Tabitha, which is beautiful. It means gazelle is what I've, been, what I've read. Her Greek name is Dorcas. I think Tabitha is a beautiful name, so I'll refer to her as that. No offense to the Greeks, but Dorcas sounds like something I would call my brother on those days that my mom, that Ma chased him out of the house. So we'll stick with Tabitha. Tabitha sounds like an amazing and faith-filled woman, and I love that we are talking about her on Mother's Day, this day that we celebrate those who pour love into someone else. I love that we are talking about Tabitha's deep, faith and her commitment to Jesus. She believed in living into the ways of Christ, caring for others, putting others' needs above your own. Tabitha lived out the greatest commandment, loving God and loving her neighbor. Scripture says that Tabitha was always doing good deeds and alms work. She was always doing good work. And we learn that she was especially given, giving to widows. She was especially called to help those women who had lost their husbands, who had lost their means of support. We learned that she purchased material with her own money and made clothes for these widows. Widows in, in biblical times in this context were among the most needy. And Tabitha saw the need of her neighbors, and she rose to the occasion to fill it. Hers was definitely not a false profession of faith. She put her money and her skills where her mouth was. She gave her belief hands and feet. 
She did the work, the good work of caring for those who needed her. So we have this faith-filled and productive servant of Christ helping others, clothing others, tending to the needs of others, and then she dies. And the story gives us the impression that her death was not expected. It was sudden. And this community, Tabitha's community, is covered in a deep, deep grief. This woman, this pillar of faith, this matriarch of their community, this woman of charity and friendship was gone, and the community itself is collectively mourning. They are mourning, and I'm sure that they are worrying. We've, we've had this happen in our church where someone who was so faithful and so faith-filled passes away and there's this emptiness in our community collectively. There's an emptiness and we worry, who will fill such big shoes? Who will step up and serve? Who will love like they loved? So they are mourning and worrying there's a sense of emptiness and wondering of who will serve in Tabitha's place. Who will love us like she loved us? So Tabitha's friends, they tend to her body and they lay her out in the upper room and they call for Peter, who's in a nearby town, and they ask that he come quickly. Now that might not seem like a big deal to us as we read the story, but it's a big deal. Because the Jewish people tended to the body of the deceased quickly and buried them quickly. They had rituals surrounding the burial of their dead. But they didn't do that in this case. They cleaned her body lovingly, I'm sure, and they laid her out in the upper room. Scripture doesn't tell us why they sent for Peter. It doesn't explicitly say, come and see if there's something you can do. But they had heard of the miracles performed in the name of Jesus. They didn't directly ask him for it, but in their faith, they left the door open. They didn't prepare her body as if they were going to bury her. They didn't bury her. They called for Peter, and they waited. And then Peter came, and he came into the upper room where Tabitha's body was, and the room was filled with the widows that she had so lovingly cared for and dressed and they were crying they were mourning their friend there was emptiness in that room and then Peter came and they surrounded him and they were telling him about their precious friend and her good works and and they showed him the very clothes that they had on that she had made for them they talked about her ministry and they talked about her they said our community needed her we need her She's been taken in the midst of her ministry. There was still work to be done. You can hear the implied request in their words. Can you help us? Is there anything you can do? Surely God's will isn't for her to leave things unfinished. And Peter excuses them from the room, and Peter prays, and the Lord's will is done, and Peter tells Tabitha to get up and resume her work, and she does. And because of the miracle of her resurrection, many more would come to believe in God, because how could you not? She was gone, and now she's back. Friends, there are those that we have lost who left us with work undone, 
with tasks to be finished that we wish we could call to life again. But when I read the story of Tabitha and her resurrection, I read it as a cautionary tale for us. Actually, when I when I read it this week, the story of Tabitha's unfinished ministry of her life cut short, I read it with this quilt in my mind. I had just seen it when I went into the closet to put something away, and, and as I read Tabitha's story of her, of her sewing for others, this quilt came to my mind. Work undone. Things unfinished, goals unaccomplished. This quilt serves as a reminder to me of someone that I loved, but in terms of its job as a blanket, it doesn't work. It's incomplete. It falls short of finishing the job that it was made for because it's not finished. So while it serves a purpose for me, it serves only a purpose for me, not for anyone else. And when I'm gone, I think someone will probably come and pick it up and prick their finger on a needle, on a pin at the edge, and decide, well, that's not a blanket at all. Look, it's got, it's got fraying edges, and, and let's face it, some of the material is questionable. I have some questions, like... This one, can you see this psychedelic looking thing? This little patch? I'd like to know where she wore that dress. I know it was the 70s, but woo. You know, I don't think anybody else is going to pick this up and, and want to wrap right up in it. And then if they prick their finger on a pin, I worry about what its fate will be ultimately. Because it's pretty to me but it might not be to the next person. And it doesn't work as a blanket. It doesn't work as a quilt. And so as I sat and I read of Tabitha's unfinished work and I thought of my unfinished quilt with the fraying edges, I decided that I didn't want my life to resemble this. Not because of the fabric, but because of the unfinished state I want my life to reflect a completion of the work that God has called me to. When I come to the end of my life, I want people to be able to say, you know what, she did the very best that she could to do the work that God set out for her. I don't want to look like a blanket, but offer no warmth. I don't, I don't want to look like a quilt, but offer no comfort or protection. I want to be the things that God has called me to be. I want to say the things that need to be said. I want to do the things that God calls me to do, and only me, because like we said to the kids, there are, there are jobs that are only ours, that no one else can do. I want to accomplish the things that God has set out for me to accomplish. I want to fight the good fight. I want to finish the race. I want to keep the faith. I want to persevere under trial. I want to stand the test, and I want to stand firm. I don't want to just look like a quilt. I want to be a covering. I don't want to just look like a Christian. I want to be like Christ.
And like this quilt, very much like this quilt, I have some questionable choices. I have some fraying edges. But the difference between me and this quilt is that the master is still stitching. The master's hands are still working. The Holy Spirit is continuing to stitch me together, to strengthen me, to embolden me, to guide me, to empower me, all of us, that we can be coverings for our neighbors and friends, that we can cover them with the love that has been shown to me by the Creator and the Savior and the Spirit. So I ask you today, where are you pinned together? Where are you frayed? Where does God need to stitch a little bit more that you can do your work? Are there areas in your life that need strengthened, that need hemmed up? Because what I hear from Tabitha's story is she got, she got an extra inning. But we, we only get one shot at this life, this humanity. There's no get-up moment for us like there was for Tabitha. We get one shot at it, one shot at completing the work. Tabitha got to get up and continue in her unfinished business. Chances are we won't get that for our lives. This is a one and done. When we are called up, it will most likely be because the work is finished. Jesus has done everything to completion and then we'll be resurrected into the body of Christ fully and completely. But that puts pressure on us, Christian, to realize that we don't have all the time in the world. If God is calling you to do something, then go do it. This, this is your get-up moment. If God is calling you to minister to someone, to care for someone, to feed someone, to clothe someone, to love someone, to forgive someone, to offer grace to someone, then get up and go do it. God is calling you now. Get up, go and do. Go and love, go and serve, go and forgive, go and minister, get up. Because if we don't, we're just a bunch of blankets that don't offer any warmth. People are freezing. And all God's people said, amen. Let's